The scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 23. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. It's good to see so many folks, visitors Folks from Texas are here with us, friends. It's good to have the family of God together this morning. 
Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at different hidden characters and the, the birth story of Jesus. In the first week, we looked at Zachariah and Elizabeth, where we were reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit working through ordinary folks like you and me. Last week, we looked at Joseph and his willingness to listen and follow God in the most improbable circumstances. And this morning, we're going to finish the series by looking at the villain in Jesus' birth narrative, King Herod. And as I studied our passage this week and looked at King Herod's story, there are many things that we can learn from his story, but I want to focus on just two this morning. And the first is that this side of heaven, there will be opposition to Jesus and his kingdom. And then secondly, do not lose heart because Jesus is king. And he is working on our behalf to help us overcome. Pray with me. Father, we pray this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would come. That you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it. We're going to be going through the whole chapter. Or you can look in your bulletins. And the first thing that I want us to consider this morning from Herod's story is that this side of heaven, there'll be opposition to Jesus and his kingdom. You know, often when we think about Christ's birth and celebrating Christmas, we think in very positive terms, which we should. Certainly, as we've discussed over the last weeks, it's a miracle that God would send his son to become flesh and dwell amongst us. But as we look at Herod's story, we see that there were also some very, very bad things that happened in and around Christ's birth that we don't often see acted out in our Christmas plays or sung about during our Christmas um, pageants or even talk about from the pulpit. Yet they are just as much a part of Christ's birth story. And they're a reminder to all of us That until Jesus comes again to consummate his kingdom, like Jesus Christ suffered and faced resistance, we too will face resistance from Satan, the world, and sin. So let's dive into this passage. Matthew begins chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, introducing us to wise men from the east. Now these men were astrologers and sorcerers who spent their time studying the stars and studying the planets, and they also spent their time interpreting dreams. They weren't particularly religious and were considered by the Pharisees and scribes to be pagans. Yet interestingly enough, out of all the people that God could have chosen to give a sign that would lead them to the baby Jesus, he chose these lost wise men. And and let me just pause here for a moment because all of us have family members and friends that we have been praying for for years and years and years that they might profess faith in Christ. And it's easy for us to lose sight and think that there's just no way. This passage is a beautiful reminder to us of God's grace and His mercy that's extended 
all. The invitation is open to all. And so, as we look at this passage, Matthew tells us that the wise men were out gazing at the stars in the sky. And there was this one particular star in the east that captured their attention. There have been debates as to whether this star actually did not move. And that's what captured their attention. There's been debates that the star was moving in the opposite direction that the stars normally move. We don't know the specifics, but what we do know is that when they saw that star, they understood it to be a sign of a new king coming to Israel. Now, Scripture, it doesn't speak to all the specifics. But what it does tell us, and if we look in verse 2 through 6, that though they were some of the wisest men in the ancient Near East, as they were moving along trying to find the newborn king, their wisdom and the general revelation of this star was insufficient for them to find the exact location of Jesus. And so what did they do? They stopped in Jerusalem, they humbled themselves, and they asked the chief priests and scribes, to see if they could help them out. And the religious leaders, they did have the answer. And the answer came from the book of Micah and 2 Samuel. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You see, the only way that these wise men could truly find Jesus was by hearing God's Word. His spoken Word. And again, it's a great reminder to me and to all of us this morning that God has given us general revelation. And so when we go out and we look at the beauty of the sky and we look at the majesty of the mountains, they cry out that God exists. But God has also given us the Old and New Testament. And it is this special revelation that leads us through the power of the Holy Spirit to the truth that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And it is this truth that led the wise men to Bethlehem. But before they left Jerusalem, Herod having heard the Scripture and seen the star, knew that something was up. And so he called the wise men to come to his palace. In his dubious way, he was trying to trick them. And he said, I'm going to send you on your way, but after you go and you find baby Jesus, come back and tell me the exact home where he is located. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to worship him there and so what did the wise men do they listened they obeyed Herod and they set out to Bethlehem and the star it set right over Jesus's house and the beautiful thing about this story is that when the wise men entered the house and and remember these men were not men of faith They believed in multiple gods. But when they saw baby Jesus, the Holy Spirit captured 
their heart. And what did they do? They fell down and they worshipped Him. You see, this is the first conversion story in Scripture. These wise men were the first to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And again, let that be an encouragement to us that no one, no one is beyond God's love and His grace. And then, the wise men, they gave Jesus gifts. And we've sung about this all morning. They gave Him gifts of gold fitting a king. They gave Him frankincense marking the divine. And then lastly, they offered a gift that marks a shift in this beautiful story. They gave Him the gift of myrrh, which was a, a, a substance that was used in burial. And as I was sitting here thinking about that, it would be as if you know, I go to the hospital and one of you have had a baby and I give you some gold and I give you some frankincense. We're all celebrating. And then I give you a little bitty casket. You know, I mean, shocking. I'm sure for Mary and Joseph to think, what in the world? What's to come? But Matthew was saying that this is foreshadowing the resistance that this little baby is going to face his entire life and the resistance that we who profess faith in Christ are going to face. And yet God is always on the move. And so he warns the wise men not to go back to Herod, but instead to go directly to their country. And when Herod discovered that the wise men had tricked him and headed and they had headed back to the country, he was furious. And he unleashed one of the most horrific acts of terror in the New Testament. He ordered that every male child in Bethlehem, in all that region, who were two years old and under, be murdered. Matthew writes in verse 18, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Again, many of us are familiar with the story, so we don't even stop to think. Can you imagine? Roman soldiers rushing into Bethlehem, taking out swords and going house to house. And if you had a male child that was two years old or younger, that child was ripped from your arms and immediately their throat was slashed. And their blood was shed on the floor. Many, many children died that evening. Herod was a ruthless, ruthless king and he opposed Jesus and he was determined to destroy him even if it meant slaughtering all these innocent children. And I wish I could say this was it. This was the beginning of the end of the resistance. But it wasn't. Because you see, Satan and the world and sin were going to continue to resist Jesus all the way to the cross where they thought they had won 
the greatest victory by killing Him on the cross. But we know the truth that on the cross, though He died, God raised Him from the dead. And He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And death has lost its sting. But until He comes again, we are going to face opposition. It might be in the form of a horrific diagnosis that takes us to our knees. It might be in the form of losing our job for no apparent reason or not getting that raise that we were expecting but desperately needing. It might be in the form of a neighbor turning on us out of blue. A friend of mine, we were talking uh, this week, and he said that he was just blowing his neighbor's leaves. And just out of the blue, his neighbor came out and just began to just cuss him out. And he was just so taken back that he felt like the joy of Christ in this season was completely robbed from him. And as we talked about that and parsed through it, I thought, you know, that's the enemy who would love to rob us of our joy during the season. Who is opposing us during the season. It might be in the form of a family feud. It might be whispers in the middle of the night that you're not good enough. That you're a horrible mom or dad or husband or wife. It might be a whisper that God is not good enough. That God is not present. That God is not coming back. Or it might be a gentle push to turn the good things that God has given us into ultimate things. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters teaches us that Satan is clever in the ways in which he seeks to thwart us. Yes, sometimes Satan is direct and he comes at us hard. But more often than not, he operates in such a way that it's as if we have received a thousand small cuts. None of them in and of themselves hurt that much. But when we finally wake up and we look down at our arms, we realize that we are literally bleeding to death. You see, the resistance looks different for all of us. But Herod and the massacre of all these children is a grim reminder to us that Matthew wants us to consider during this Advent season that this side of heaven, opposition will come. So, Merry Christmas. The first thing that we learn in this passage is that Herod's story reminds us that there will be opposition to Jesus and His kingdom. But secondly, Herod's story is a reminder to us to not lose heart because King Jesus is greater than any opposition and He is working on our behalf to help us overcome. The good news of Herod's story is though he did the most indescribable harm in his efforts to resist Jesus, he was unsuccessful in taking out the newborn king. Make no doubt about it. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in those of us who profess faith in Christ. 
And Jesus' kingdom isn't something that we're waiting for. It is at hand. And He is working on our behalf to push back the resistance, to thwart the opposition. How do I know this? I know this because it's throughout this passage we see God at work. We see God warning Joseph about Herod's plot and telling Joseph to take baby Jesus and Mary and to flee to Egypt. And then we see again after Herod's death, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph again and told him that it was safe for them to return to Israel. But then when they got back to Israel, they realized that Herod's son, Archelaus, was just as evil as his father. And he was now seeking to take Jesus' life. So what does God do? God intervenes. He sends an angel again to speak to Joseph and to warn him of the impending threat and to direct him and his family to safety in Nazareth and Galilee. In every situation, God was present and actively working to thwart the resistance. Whomever and wherever it might be. And I know you might be thinking, okay, sounds great that God is at work, but um, Todd, you just told me that all these children were massacred. They died. Why didn't God protect those innocent kids? And, and we don't have time to completely parse out and answer this question in full. But what we can say, what I can say in confidence, is that Christ defeated death on the cross. Those kids, though they died, I believe with all of my heart that those children are alive. They are in the presence of our Savior. And right at this moment, their voices are joining all the saints and all the martyrs who've gone before us. And they are cheering us on, reminding us, though Satan and the world and our sin are opposing us, God is at work. His kingdom is at hand. This side of heaven, we will suffer at the hands of the resistance. But our suffering is not, it is not in vain. God is at work. And Jesus has secured the victory. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-18. through But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. 
Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believed, so we also speak. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen? Now I know many in our midst are suffering this morning. These last two, three weeks have been some of the most painful times for some of us here at Hope Chapel. And I think that's only a little remnant as I talk to many of you and you share stories of others who are struggling, marriages that are literally falling apart this week. Children that are telling their moms and dads, I'm done. I'm done with Christ. People that are hurting. And many of us are hurting this morning. But this story is not just a story about a villain who innocently murdered these children. It is a story about God's grace and His mercy and His commitment to every one of us that He is fighting on our behalf, that He has defeated death. Yes, the shadow of death will pass over all of us. None of us in this room will escape the shadow of death unless Christ comes back before we die. But the good news is death has lost its sting. Because when Christ comes back to consummate His kingdom, there will be no more sin, no more disease, no more suffering, no more divorce, no more poverty, no more racism. All things will be made new. And for us to truly celebrate Christmas, we need to understand and talk about the wonderful things of His birth and all that surround it, but we also need to understand the pain and suffering that came with it and the resistance. And we need to know that that above all of those things, God is on His throne. That He loves every one of us. That He cares for us. And believe me, during this season, it's hard. It's hard for me to believe that. I had a moment, I think it was Friday, because I was getting text after text from people of different things going on in Kentucky and, and moms almost on their deathbeds and things going on here and things going on with other friends. And I literally, for a moment, got depressed and just said, I, I can't take it anymore. And I'm praying to you, God, and it doesn't seem like you're answering my prayers for healing. And I texted a couple of friends and said, you need to pray for me because I feel like kind of the shadow, the darkness of the night is coming over me. And they texted back and said, we're praying. And as the, the evening went on, it lifted 
And I was reminded of this truth. That though we suffer this side of heaven, our suffering is not in vain. And Christ is on His throne. And our prayers are not in vain. We pray and we pray in faith for healing. We pray and we pray in faith that God would eradicate poverty. We pray in faith that He would eradicate racism. We pray in faith that He would heal marriages. That He would bring back our lost children. And God hears every prayer. And He answers every prayer. We might not see it this side of heaven, but we will see it. He is worthy of our trust. And so this Advent season, I want to encourage us, though we will face opposition, we are not alone. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. He has given us a wonderful community to lock arms with us. And though the world is trying to win us over and sin is trying to destroy us, God has destroyed the dominion and the power of sin. This morning, the good news is that we do not lose heart. We can stand together on the truth of the gospel. Christ lived. Christ died. And what, church family? Christ will come again. Amen.